Hello and welcome to another Movie Man of Georgia. Today I'm going to be joined with Art and we're going to be talking about The Kid Who Would Be King. It was released in January of 2019. This family adaptation of King Arthur is a movie for all to watch, so stay tuned. The Movie Man of Georgia is about to start. All right, so we are here today. We're going to be talking about The Kid Who Would Be King. Now, this movie is based on selections from the book Le Mort de Arthur, one of my favorite books, actually. It talks about King Arthur, the knights. And so The Kid Who Would Be King grossed $32.10 million. It was released in January of 2019, and it's directed by Joe Cornish. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's also the director of movies like Ant-Man, 1010, and Hot Fuzz. The cast of this movie, though, is a little bit less known, except for a few of the major uh, stars that they threw in there, kind of to pepper it up a little bit. Uh, we've had that before, haven't we, Hart? Oh, absolutely. Yes. We have a few actors in here. I listed seven. We have Lois Serkins. Now, he has been in some movies. He was uh, Mowgli in the Netflix movie series. He was also in, I didn't know this, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. He was a little Hobbit extra in the background. And then he also played the young Mad Hatter in Alice Through the Looking Glass. The next one is Tom Taylor, and he has had a few roles, and the main role that you'll know him for is playing Jake in the Dark Tower. But he also played in Legend and as well as Close to Me. Rebecca Ferguson played in Girl on a Train, Mission Impossible Fallout series, and The Greatest Showman. Augustus Ermine played in The Sprannis Princess and the Crown. And then we had two people that debuted. We had Rihanna Doris and Dean Chumo. They both debuted. The big player in this movie, in my opinion, I mean, Rebecca Ferguson is pretty good as far as like being well-known, but Patrick Stewart is the star plug for this movie because he's known from everything. Star Trek, X-Men, Christmas Carol, Dune, Men in Tights, he was King Richard, and he's also the voice of Avery and American Dad, and he played an Excalibur. So those are the cast, the crew, everybody involved in it. So what's happening in this story is 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 a basic coming together with terms of a broken family. And it revolves around a personal quest, the validation as to why we're important and why we shouldn't be so concerned with other people's thoughts and other people's opinions. And I do like the fact that it showcases that we can't go through life alone and that you have to have other people involved in your life. You have to have other people help you meet the challenges in your life. And how we come together, regardless of our views, regardless of things that are going on, everybody can find some common ground. And I do like the fact that they pointed out in this movie, you can overcome bullying with kindness, but you can be firm. You can still stand up for yourself. You can still explore things that are needed to overcome obstacles. So that's the basic story, the cast and crew. And I'm going to ask you, Art, what were your thoughts when you watched this movie? What what impressions did you get as far as it being a family film? Well, I could back up a bit and say, first of all, I promise not to be completely biased because it's my namesake. <laughs> You're welcome. It's my one joke of the, the episode. Uh, I will say I, I went into this somewhat blind, as we kind of hinted at even uh, 
after the fact, I admittedly in my own mind had this movie confused with so many others in a good way of its life that have come out in the past. I mean, I, for me, I grew up watching Excalibur. So, of course, uh, I'm all down with any of the, the King Arthur legend and like the surrounding thing about it. And I, and I thought this was a fantastic take on it. If I can back it up, at least st- let me say, at least as far as like a family film, uh, com- in the best of ways, a complete surprise. Like uh, it was so refreshing to me, to me to see something that's been mostly recently made. This came out, what, just a couple of years ago? Yeah, 2019. Uh, it felt so good to see something that wasn't, you know, that like Hollywood tentpole blockbuster cookie cutter, even with me of all people saying this, those who know me, you know, that like the constant superhero like it didn't fit any of those molds, and I think in this instance, that's a great thing. I like that it was filmed outside of the U.S. too. Being that it was filmed in Britain gave it a different feel than those movies that we get. Here's the thing: this is a bright, funny, likable, and well-made movie. It could have been, at least I, I humbly think it could have been a huge hit. But if you know anything about movie distribution, you'll know that this, at the time, was unceremoniously dumped right before the Super Bowl, which traditionally is the worst weekend of the year at the box office, in a crowded market with no support by a studio that was about to be absorbed by a giant parent company. So in other words, they didn't have any interest in any projects of the producers or the executives or anything actually going on with the film. Basically, all that to say, it was a strategy which is like akin to shooting it in the head as soon as it arrives in the studio. In that sense, no, as much of a cinephile as I am, it kind of irritated me in the sense that I think as great as this is, this is going to be very much one of those like under the radar kind of things, at least for those of us here, just because I feel like it wasn't marketed as near as it should have been. Uh, and, and to your point earlier, to see for the first time, like to see Sir Patrick Stewart, like that was a, you know, even like for most recently, if uh, about the whole world knows him if nothing else is, you know, Captain Picard from Star Trek TNG. But even recently, like he was also, uh, yeah, you, you mentioned it, Professor X and X-Men and then like in the Wolverine films. I mean, the dude's just fantastic. So that was that was a great surprise, especially for a film geek like me. We talked about the comparable movies and how you got it kind of mixed up. And I think that's one of the things about the movie that did give me kind of like a bias against it when I started out, because we got the sword and stone Camelot Merlin, a kid and King Arthur's court. And that's what I believe where we got confused with a kid and King Arthur's court, because they're so similar and, and the way that they're named and the way that they're framed up, uh, even comedies like black Knight or a Yankee and King Arthur's court are comparable to this movie. It's nothing new. It's not a new genre. I did like the fact that they modernized it and they gave it a new spin. And again, I like the fact that they took it outside of the U.S. and made a British version of the King Arthur tale in the environment where it supposedly occurred, where King Arthur's legend lives. So I did like that. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the kid who would be king, as well as conclude with our rating based upon our four-point system. So stay tuned to the movie man of Georgia. We're back, and we're talking about the kid who would be king. If you're just now tuning in, please listen to the first half. It's amazing. Now we're going to finish up talking about it and then have our evaluation based upon our four points. Here we go. Thank you for tuning in. Let's start with the comparable things that I noticed in this film that are a little bit outside of the King Arthur legend. Did you uh, catch the Ghost Rider vibe of this movie? Uh, Only very vaguely. I will say, at least for me, specifically as far as first impressions, and of course you can agree to disagree. You know how we do here on the show. 
But uh, I think what I came away with in a good way is it felt to me like a little bit of mix. It was like the Goonies meets the Lord of the Rings, but marketed at like teenagers and tweens, if I can use the word, like I would say like 12 to 14 year olds. Well, I saw the Ghost Rider was in the horses and and the way that they kind of did this demon hellfire, hellbike type uh, horse. And I also got kind of like a Sleepy Hollow vibe with the way that they did the camera angles and the way that they shot their chase scenes. I got those two things from it. Now, another thing that I got was the the sleeping dragon, the, the nemesis, uh, if you will, of this whole film. It reminded me very much of the Medusa and Clash of the Titans. What, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, it, it definitely, it, that called me back like all the way. I mean, it made me think of like uh, almost like, um, and not so much, as far as the uh, the production value, so to speak, but as far as like those images, like that that mindset of it almost brought me back to uh, like Harryhausen, like um, Clash of the Titans kind of vibe, like a very old school. And I think that goes back to just coming out of that that culture across the pond. And that you, that you mentioned, I love the fact that it was actually shot and filmed for the most part on location uh, overseas, like that. I think. This is definitely one of those movies where the scenery itself is like another character, like we've talked about before, like the, the backgrounds and stuff were just gorgeous. Yep. Now, one of the things that I did see as far as cinematography is when Merlin changes into the bird, and this is not a spoiler, he does it throughout the whole movie. When Merlin changes into the bird, the way in which he transitions and the way in which he goes from human to poof, you know, bird, I really like the way they did that. The, the, it's very nicely animated, very nicely CGI'd together to where you don't feel like it's unnatural, even though it is. Now, the actual animated characters, on the other hand, show how little of a budget or how little time was taken in making this one particular part of the film. All the animation sequences, to me, feel a little bit forced and it feel a little bit too I don't want to say cartoony but I, I'm thinking early 80s animation early 90s animation uh, in terms of the way in which the animation comes across what what do you believe what I mean did you get that same vibe a little bit yeah that I think that's what led me to my Harryhausen comment a little bit ago it uh the movie itself, but that, yeah, to your point, like to the cinematography aspect, it reminded me of like almost of like Beastmaster, like that. And I hate to phrase it this way for a movie of this aspect and this nature, but it was almost for that aspect of it was almost like a so bad it's good, can't look away kind of vibe, which also surprised me. Um, given it's only been released a couple of years ago, it uh, I don't know if that was like an intentional callback or not, but it it, it felt like I was watching something released at times from like when you and I were both kids, like you know, like I said before, I'm a child of the '80s, very proudly, and there were there were parts of it where I felt like I was at home sitting in front of my tube TV with a bowl of cereal in front of me. Now. I'm going to shift a little bit and we're going to do something I haven't really done on this show, but we're going to put a couple of parental points in here because there's some things I think are that are important for parents to know about, especially since we're talking about this being a family film and I'm not going political. These are just points that I noticed that some parents might have issues with me personally. I didn't see that they were that big of a deal but let's go ahead and address them. The first one 
is that there is maybe too much independence given to the main character. He goes on this quest. There seems to be like no concern from the parent. They go off multiple times. They go into restricted areas. There's no parent saying, hey, what are you doing here? No adult saying what was here. And it kind of gives the impression that the, the parents either are unconcerned, don't care, or that they're stupid. Uh, and we see this happening a lot in movies recently. And I just wanted to point out, if parents watch this movie with their family, they might get kind of like an underlying negative connotation towards adults and parents. Um, that being said, the second point would be that it is a kid-controlled crisis, meaning that the kid is going through this self-validation process throughout the whole movie. And he's trying to figure himself out, and he's trying to figure out what's going on in his family. And instead of there being any kind of adult or any kind of parental help during this movie, again, that's leading back to point A, but it leads the viewers to believe that parents can't help them. And this is a big, big thing in movies that we're seeing a shift in. And I wanted to address it as being a point in this movie that I consider a negative. Is it's, it's a really big thing where it's saying, don't rely on parents, don't rely on adults. You can figure it out yourself. And, it, and in my opinion, when you make such a thing as the impact and such a thing as getting away from any adults whatsoever in a movie, I believe it diminishes the overall quality of the movie because it gives a false sense of empowerment to, to kids. And that's why I'm saying some parents might have issues with this because, again, where it is a family movie, there are undertones that are in movies. I mean, everybody usually agrees with that. And I believe that these are the two main undertones uh, that are in the movie. Did you catch any of that art or am I kind of reaching here, you think? Well, no, see, I, was, I just didn't want to, like, I'm in your own brain. And at the risk of those who think... Uh, you and I both are reading too much into this. I was trying to place the name. So please know, of course, as always, that uh, that this is an original to me. But I know, forgive me, I'm so terrible, I can't remember the name, but somebody famously said that basically the vibe is like movie theaters have become the new churches, the the new religion, so to speak. I mean, and let's bookend this, probably the main reason, not just like, I know my subgenre, of course, is everything thrilling and horror and scary, and, and that's all fine and well and good, but the, but the, what brought me to movies, period, the, one of the main reasons I love any kind of movies so much is that I believe movies are meant to bring people together, not drive them apart. And uh, and yeah, absolutely. Like there's what it, what, what it made me think of when you described it that way, and I just don't want to re-repeat what you already said because I can't say it any more eloquently. That was very well done. But it reminds me of in like TV sitcom culture, I want to say what was it like late 80s, early 90s, especially. I mean, to be specific, I'm thinking of things like uh, like Married with Children, et cetera, to where at the time, like the father figures and TV shows and sitcoms were all like basically bumbling in more than just like this Homer Simpson vibe, but like across the board, like uh, the kids had to take care of themselves. And, you know, we're all we got because all the parents, especially all the dads, were just like fumbling idiot goofballs who didn't know how to put on their own pants. And uh, and yeah, come to think of it, uh, maybe not in an extreme sense, but there definitely was like an undercurrent of, you know, we we as a kids, we have to do this because, uh, you know, it's like it's up to us and nobody else for the movie. But there was like an undercurrent of it's up to us regardless, because nobody else can. And those are those are two very different mindsets. 
uh, and at least for me, and you know, given given how I'm trying to raise my two, I think that can become a slippery slope real fast. Yeah, yeah. I I was specifically thinking about not only the quest, but I was also thinking about the the climatic part of the movie and the way in which the parents were kind of portrayed as being like bumbling and being stupid, for lack of a better word. I'm sorry if you don't like that word. Uh, but that's how it was portrayed. Now, one funny point that I noticed in here is uh, the recipe, Merlin's recipe, and how it points out uh, how bad fast food is for you because it meets the, the qualities of the, the recipe. Uh, that's, that's not a spoiler, by the way. Uh, I'm not telling you what's in it or where he goes. But I thought it was hilarious because it was like, oh, you need all these nasty, gross ingredients. Let's eat some fast food. And so it was like a, it was kind of like one of those little subtle jabs that they put in there. But I mean, adults will catch it. Uh, but it was, it was pretty funny. Before we do our four point criteria, do you have any points that you want to put in or anything that you noticed? Excuse me. Well, even just as far as uh, back to your, not really back a step, but back to the point of speaking more from the parental aspect, given that this is a, a family film. From the even from like the purely technical side, and, and you probably I think you'd mentioned it in passing, but the one thing I'll be sure and say, and of course, uh, just to make it clear with no spoilers, uh, just know that if, if you're gonna watch this together as a family and you have like little littles, like I would say, you know, for me, I would say maybe like 10 and, 10 and younger, like to case in point, my youngest is nine, know that there are a couple, um, in that level, more intense scenes and like a couple jump scares. If, if you have like really little ones, that might be too intense for them, so just uh. Just know that to be a have that in the back of your mind, like you use. Well, what's the thing that TV guys always say? Parental discretion advised. There's a little bit of that vibe, you know. I don't want your little ones going to bed with nightmares, and then you know coming into bed waking you up at two in the morning type of thing. So just uh, keep that in the back of your mind as you watch. But with that, um, other than our, our main four, no, I don't think so. I uh, I, I think I'm sad that, that at least in this side and in the U.S. that this movie, for lack of a better word, flopped the way it did. Um, I would have loved to see more brought to the story, but I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think it set out what it needed to do and, um, it was really enjoyable. Yeah. Like it held my attention from start to finish. Alrighty. So what we're going to do, if you haven't ever tuned into our show, we do our discussion. And then at the very end of our show, we have a five-star rating and we base it on four criteria. Now our four criteria is the enjoyment of the overall film, the originality of the film, cinematography, and then how well it did at the box office, if it's available. So starting out, for me, the enjoyment of this movie was a four out of five stars. And the reason why it doesn't get five stars out of me is for some of the points we mentioned earlier in the podcast, and is also because I don't think they really pushed the envelope quite enough. It's kind of like they had the script and they would push the story to just where it needed to be, and they couldn't quite get over that last little hurdle to make it cinematic and to make it one of those memorable movies. It's one of those movies where you can watch it with your family and a couple hours later you'll forget half of what happened. So mm. it is a four out of five. Now on originality, I got to give it a one. This is not an original film by any means. Uh, it's been rehashed so many times that it's almost redundant before it was even made. Uh, to, when you make King Arthur movies, just like if you make a Robin Hood movie, you have to bring something that's incredibly original to the film to give a credit, 
ability and to give it a new perspective. This movie really didn't do that. It just took the, the, the same story that's been told a billion times in a billion movies, and they modernized it. They just put it in today's world. So I have to give a one for originality. Now, cinematography, I have to give it a four. And the reason why it doesn't get a five is because, like I said, some of the animation in the movie is very poor. It throws you back to the 80s and the 90s. So it can't get a five because with today's technology, they could have really pushed the envelope again with the way in which they did their cinematography, their shots, and their animation, but they never quite got there. And now for the fourth one, the box office is a two. And the reason why it's a two is because it only did 32 million. If you've listened to our podcast before, this is a low number. I know for the common person like me, 32 million would set me up and my kids up and we'd be happy. But for movies, anything really below 50 million is considered low. Uh, You really want to hit that 50 to 100 million to be considered standard. And anything over a hundred million is considered good. So I got to give it a two. So rounding out my score is a three out of five stars. So now I'm going to turn it over to you, Art, and get your opinion on these four points. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with a lot of it being in line with no pun intended, overall enjoyment. I think I'd also give it a four. Like uh, even watching it with all four of us, pun intended, myself, my wife, and then our two daughters. Uh, as far as that aspect, I mean, it set out. It set out what it intended. Like, it, like I said earlier, it held our attention start to finish. And of course, my two girls, uh, especially my oldest Abigail, who just turned twelve, and especially with how to train your dragon. If it's dragon, she's all in. So, of course, uh, uh, that's anything with that kind of mythos. You know, that was her. That was her bait and hook. Um, so, enjoyments of four. Uh, cinematography, I think I'd give it, we'll call it a 3.5, a three and a half. I, admittedly, I'm a sucker uh, for the Arthurian legends with all the pun in my name aside, but I'm also a sucker for anything that's always filmed, anything that's like, like that Europe vibes across the pond. So, I mean, uh, London, anything with jolly old England, I'll, admittedly, I'm, a, I'm somewhat biased towards, I'll freely admit it in that sense. So, I mean, that, um, well, parts of it could have been better. It, it, it's always thrilling to see excuse me, to actually literally see things from the other side of the world. Uh, I mean, it's it's enjoyable. It's a fun little fantasy adventure. It's, it's decent entertainment. But also having said that, uh, it's a very clunky story. Uh, some of the dialogue is almost knuckle-gnawing. The, the leads are good. It just feels to me with the script, they're not given very much to work with, like we mentioned before. Uh, I mean, I think it's hard. <clears throat> excuse me again. Allergies are killing me. I think it's heart was in the right place. And the set pieces are decent, but uh, to be honest, as a diehard cinephile, the plot, the dialogue, and the direction is just kind of weak. Um, the, to my knowledge, this is only the second direction, the second outing for this director. If he does have a third movie coming down the pike, I kind of hope he steps his game up. But having said all that, at the end of the day, they, and to your point earlier, that's why there's no escaping you know, that that's as far as originality. Third, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's a one, frankly, less than a one, if that's possible. I mean, it's just, first of all, there's no escaping the long shadow of the sword and the stone. And, and to your point, there's been, quote, King Arthur in the Round Table movies ad infinitum only because of the so-called source material. Like, it's been around just as long, so that's fair. But this is definitely nothing new under the sun. Even with all the twists they tried to do, this isn't something nobody's ever seen before. 
Uh, and then, and then your fourth, as far as box office, yeah, agreed. Maybe, maybe a strong two. Uh, to to borrow the colloquialism, speak at least when it comes to here, like U.S. box office, U.S. numbers. I want to say its total budget, its total spent budget, was something like fifty nine or sixty million, and it made maybe a little over half that. And keep in mind that's U.S. domestic and overseas combined. So that's to borrow the to borrow the terminology, it flopped basically. So, uh, and even with that said, this isn't the first quote King Arthur movie with that subject material that's done so. So there's a part of me that I don't understand why Hollywood keeps trying to crank these out, but you know that's above my pay grade. Okay, so with your score, you come out to 2.7. We'll just round that up to three, and we'll keep it at an overall score of three for this. Now, I don't want to end this on a bad note because three out of five is pretty pretty low, a little bit more than mid-road. This is a good family movie if you're searching for just something to sit down, watch, that doesn't have a ton of violence, that doesn't have a ton of blood, no cussing. And and is it just a good feel good movie? Uh, what we do here is we break things down and a little bit, and we get a little bit nitty gritty with stuff and a little bit nitpicky. But I did want to encourage everybody who loves King Arthur movies to check it out. It's again, this is called The Kid Who Would Be King. Came out in 2019. It is available on Hulu, Vudu. Sorry, it is available on Vudu, Amazon Prime. Movies Anywhere and iTunes, as well as most places that stream movies. So check it out. It's the kid who would be king. And join us next week as we discuss another movie. This has been the Movie Man of Georgia. Good night.